Why study the book of Acts? So as we saw in our last series with the same author, um, Luke, the gospel of Luke, we wanted, I wanted for us to study Luke because I wanted for us to hear and experience the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ for us as Gentiles and as people who are not of the Jewish tradition and have little experience and knowledge of the Jewish tradition. Right? We have the Old Testament, yes, but there's so much more that goes into the study of the First Testament than just simply being able to read it. I mean, because anyone tried to read the Old Testament? It's difficult, right? The, the, everyone kind of burns out in their yearly Bible reading plan around middle of February when they get to Leviticus, right? Exodus, you know, Genesis and Exodus is awesome until you get to Leviticus. And if your oxen gores this or gores that, right, you got to know what to do. Well, we don't really have oxen. So uh, <laughs> so what do you do when your daughter bites someone? There you go. That's something that's practical for us parents, right? Um, but so why study the book of Acts, right? So the main reason why I want to study the book of Acts is because the book of Acts is the power and the presence that changed the world. The power of Jesus Christ on display, what happened in the gospel, lived out. The power of the gospel of Jesus Christ in action. Right? So that's why we're going to be studying the book of Acts. It's because we're going to be studying the power and the presence that changed the world. There's a book that I'm actually reading as a supplement to this, uh, to this study called 30 Years That Changed the World. 30 Years from the time of Jesus Christ's ascension to the time of Peter and Paul's uh, martyrdom, it changed the face of the world and has done so since. But the, what, ha- what has happened since then was, what, was because of what happened in those first 30 years. So really, in essence, I don't... I'm, so this is kind of a working title. I'm not even sure if I want to even call it Acts necessarily, but it's basically what it is. But basically we're studying, we're sorry, it's going to be a very comprehensive study that I'm not ready for yet, but it's like, I'm just asking for God's grace as we, as we go forward. But basically what we're doing is we're studying history. We're all becoming history nerds. Who wants to become a history nerd? Oh, Woo. Who, who is a history nerd? Who has absolutely no interest in, in, in history whatsoever? <laughs> right. Well, I hope to make history interesting, but it's not just we're studying history, right? We're not just taking a class. Um, <clears throat> there's a post that I wrote this, this last week um, that is, is very telling of, of kind of my heart behind this. And it's the fact that us in America have a very low, I mean morbidly low, biblical literacy. We don't, we don't understand or even know the Bible. I talk to people and they're like, that's in the Bible? I'm like, yeah, like a hundred times in the Bible. Like, and so I, so talking about what is in the Bible by studying the Bible. So really what we're going to be studying is all that. The history, and basically not even just the history, but what was written, who wrote it, who done it, where was it written from. We're going to study the history, as you can see in your notes. Oh, also, by the way, if you didn't get a, a sheet of notes, go ahead and grab a sheet on, on, in the door, on, in the door, by the door on your way in. There's, there's going to be these, um, full page sheets with, and they're going to go in your three ring binder. So I'm going to make sure I get the three, three ring binder next week, but you're going to want to have a comprehensive collection of all the notes because we're going to go, we're going to go pretty deep, um, into these things, not just like the, the nerdy history and the who said what and where he said it and who he's writing to, 
But the why. Why was each place talked to, spoken of? Why were each of the books of the Bible written? So what we're going to be doing is Acts is going to become our, our, um, our roadmap. And so we're going to get to these different books of the Bible and we're going to read them. Now, I'm still trying to figure out how, if I'm just going to give you homework, hey, when you're, when you're home this week, read Galatians or read 2 Corinthians when it was written and why it was written. Um, or we might come together uh, you know, during the week and read it together like a letter written to us, the church, from our brother Paul, right? And so we'll, we'll just replace the, the name of the place, you know, the, to the saints or the, to the church in Ephesus, we'll just say to the saints in Belgrade, right? So we can really you know, grasp it for ourselves. <clears throat> but we're doing a comprehensive, to get an understanding, but also to remember that this, we're not just studying like nerdy writings and history, we're studying the power and the presence of Jesus Christ through His Holy Spirit that changed the world. Why? Because we want the power and the presence of Jesus Christ for us, the church of Jesus Christ, today in the 21st century, to change the world through the empowering of His Holy Spirit. We first have to know what God wants to do by studying where He has gone, what He has done in the past, so that we can know what He's wanting to do in and through us. In essence, what we have permission to do as His saints, as His church. And so, the main thing that I want to look at here this morning, so we're not, yeah, we're going to be talking a little bit about, about Acts, but I want to study, I want to see the author. We just read his whole gospel, um, but we're going to read his, his this, this continuing story. So this is, I love to say, I like to say, this is the unfolding of the story of the new covenant people in the early century. And so the story of Luke is one, and really the, the whole story of the book of Acts is all about this. It's transformed people, transform people. When we are transformed, when God transforms our lives, we can transform others. We can transform one another, help each other in the process of transformation. We can help outsiders be transformed and come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's the very typical, that is the, the pinnacle, the, that transformed people transform people. Michael Green, the, the author of The 30 Years That Changed the World, said this, I am persuaded that nothing but transformed lives will be able to intrigue and, atta- and attract a generation that is bored with religion and cynical of pious talk. This world is growing steadily and more steadily and more steadily disinterested with religion overall. Not just Christianity. But especially like where you know, this is 10 years ago. It's interesting to see. 10 years ago, we foresaw exactly where we were going to be today. We looked at the church in Europe, these beautiful church buildings, tourist attractions. That's it. I remember going on a, on a tour, on a choir tour in high school. And we went and we toured all these different cathedrals. It was beautiful. I loved it. It was incredible. We would sing songs in these cathedrals. Just when we were visiting, we'd sing a song and everyone would stop because it was so beautiful. Because we were such good singers. <laughs> but just one, well, and reverb really covers up a lot of mistakes. But, <laughs> but it sounded gorgeous and people would stop and they were, we were all just overwhelmed with the sound of these old churches. 
and now they're empty except for tourists. Yeah, there's a, there's occasionally some Catholic churches that will still hold a mass like once a year or something like that on the day that were, they remember it was a cathedral once. But churches after church after church are closing down. Most of, I mean, many of the churches over there, over in Europe today, are home churches because they're not big enough, they're not prominent enough, they're not recognized enough, they don't, and they're not given property and, and permission to gather and to meet as Protestants in that area outside the recognized Church of England or the Catholic Church. And not just because they're not allowed, but because no one wants to go. You want to see where we're going to go? Look at Europe, and you'll look at Europe, and we'll be there in ten years. That's basically what we're, what we're seeing. But that's why that we are persuaded that that the only way to intrigue and attract a generation that is bored with religion and cynical of pious talk is transformed people. Your lives, our lives, being transformed by the gospel and by the presence of God's spirit. That is his desire for us. So, as we look at the book of Acts, and basically as we look at the history of the new covenant people, let's look at, let's look at the book. So your first little thing there is the book. <coughs> so Luke and Acts are one work that Luke has done. It's one work in two volumes. So think of, we just finished, quote unquote, the first work of Luke, of his, of his gospel. But now we are studying the second movement of his work called the book of Acts. So basically this is also known as the Acts of the Apostles. Others even call it the Acts of Jesus through his Holy Spirit. Um, so let's look at the book. So what was, what was the reason? Why was it written? So let's look at, look, look back at Luke 1. Many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them down to us. So it also seemed good to me, since I have carefully investigated everything from the very first to write to you in an orderly sequence, most honorable Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed." And then he begins this second movement by saying this. He said, I wrote, I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus, what, began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. After he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, he had chosen. So the book. The book is an orderly account of the kingdom of God through the working of God, first through the first one, the first movement, is Jesus. The book, of, you know, the Gospel of Luke is the is the account of the kingdom of God through the working of Jesus. And the second movement, this book of Acts of the Apostles, is now through the working of God through the Holy Spirit. The first was showing how the kingdom of God was inaugurated through Jesus Christ. The second movement is showing how the working of God was made manifest through God's Holy Spirit. The first movement is how salvation came through Jesus Christ. The second movement is how salvation then spread. So basically we can look at Luke's work. We can call this one book, right? Basically salvation. It's root and fruit. Yeah, the whole totality, if you're going to call this Call this, you know, entitle Luke's work. 
you know, Luke is the first movement, the, you know, Gospel of Luke, and then the Acts of the Apostles is the second movement, right? Volume 2. The whole title of the entire work is Salvation, or the Kingdom of God, its root and fruit. Right? So let's look at Theophilus. So Theophilus is mentioned in both, both books, both, both, uh, beginnings, both intros. But it's interesting, there's two options in, in which we can, in which we can settle in this. So the first one is that it was a rich benefactor. Someone who was funding Luke to go and accumulate all this knowledge, to go and do the interviews, right? Because remember, Luke is an interviewer. He went about the, the, all throughout the empire, all throughout Judea, and talked to different people and got their stories and then wrote them down. And that's what we have as the book of Luke is the account of, of, of the eyewitnesses, um, telling their stories to Luke. Like, for instance, I would like to say, Mary, the reason why we have the, the whole story of the birth of Jesus is because Luke talked to who? Mary. Mary. And his brothers and sisters, and the guy who was healed of blindness, and the guy who, the, the mother whose daughter, came, whose son came back to life. We heard testimony after testimony. He heard testimony after testimony all over the place. Right? So, that's why we have them. Second, is that Theophilus was simply just the name. Lover of God. That it was a title of a person, not simply their name. And who that person was is you. The reader. Oh, you, you know, oh, you know, fill in your name. Oh, Josh, lover of God, you know, oh, Eric, lover of God, right? So basically to you, the reader, lover of God, because you're reading this, therefore you love God because Luke wrote this work for the church. He didn't write this as an, as an evangelistic, you know, let's put the gospel out there and have people read it so that they can come to faith in Jesus. He was writing this to the church so we would remember who Jesus is and what he did, and what he's still doing for them in the church. Right? That wasn't so cool. So again, so let's look at, let's look at the author. So, well, actually, first let's go back and read. So a little bit, so the book of Luke, if you look at, at Acts, sorry, not the book of Luke, the book of Acts, if you look at chapter 1, it starts with Jesus' ascension. It kind of overlaps a little bit with the last part of his gospel. And then if you look at chapter 28, you see uh, Paul under house arrest in Rome. So the, uh, many believe that this is at the very end of his third missionary journey. And that's where he stopped. And he didn't record Paul's fourth missionary journey. So this is right around he, where he completes it at the end of Paul's missionary, missionary, or, you know, third missionary journey. Uh, so that is kind of your timeline, if you will. I should have put a timeline in there. I'll, I'll give you a timeline tomorrow. Um, <laughs> so, or not tomorrow, uh, next week, rather. But let's talk a little bit about the author, because here's where I want to focus in for the rest of our time. So the author. <coughs> the author is Luke. We've been, t- been talking about it. So Luke wrote the book of Act, the Acts of the Apostles. So Luke was, as we remember from the Gospel, a Gentile Christian, a Gentile follower of Jesus, um, possibly from Troas, because uh, that's where we first are introduced to him. So unless he traveled around a whole heck of a lot, he, he may have been from Troas. Other traditions say that he was from Antioch, which was basically the, the Seattle of his day. Uh, you know, super, you know, um, 
Um, well, that too. <laughs> um, but uh, super, what is the word? Uh, don't get old, guys. It'll, it, your, your brain rots. I'm <laughs> um, not articulate, but uh, affluent. There's the word. It's a very affluent but morally bankrupt city. Right. So it rivaled the intellectualism of Alexandria, but was basically morally and ethically bankrupt. The prostitution, slavery, murder, th- you know, theft. But basically Seattle <laughs> had a very, very large homeless population, just like Seattle. Um, but so but either way, so he was a follower of Jesus. And a lot of people will say that he's from Antioch because that's where they believe that he became a Christian. Like he was a physician in Antioch, took the gospel to Troas, maybe where he was born and raised, took it back to Troas, and that's where, where Paul picked him up, was in Troas. Um, but, so we see Luke a few other places throughout the books of, of, of the New Testament. Here's a few little mentions of him in Colossians 4. He says, you know, this is Paul writing to the Colossians. He says, Luke, the dearly loved physician, sends you greetings. So this is when Paul is in prison, Luke is with him which we'll get to in a minute. Second Timothy 4, only Luke is with me. So he's back in prison in Second Timothy. This is the, the last letter that Paul ever wrote. Basically, he's saying everyone has abandoned me. These people like got seduced by the world and went back there and, and all these different things. Only Luke is left with me. Uh, then Philemon uh, says, you know, in verses 23 and 24, uh, Luke, my coworker, sends you greetings, along with other, a few other people as, as part of that too. So he's with him in Philemon. He's with him when he's writing Timothy. He's with him in Colossae, when he's writing to the church in Colossae. The conclusion is that Luke was a doctor, a companion of Paul, an associate of Mark, and a Gentile saint who loved Jesus and was filled with the Holy Spirit. But there's so much more to Luke. And so we're going to look at a few, a few things here this morning. Sure. Luke was a doctor a companion of Paul, an associate of Mark, so the guy who wrote the book of Mark, which is probably why Luke follows, a lot of scholars believe that Luke kind of follows the outline of the gospel of Mark. Um, and then he was also a Gentile saint who loved Jesus and was filled with the Holy Spirit. So I want to look at a few things of of Luke and and look at where he was at. So, I want to look at his humility and his love. So Luke had a a great humility and love. There is a whole bunch. There's a few sections of the Bible, of the book of Acts, um, where the author changes from they or he, third person, and he changes it to we, us, our. We did this. We did that. So Luke chapter 16, uh, 10 through 40 is one of those sections where they go from where Paul picks them up in Troas, that's where we, he changes in verse 5, uh, or I'm sorry, verse 10, over to, and we felt good, and we, we sailed to Philippi. So we went to Philippi. Now you'll see it in your map there too. I might want to circle different places. I know it's kind of tiny. I'll try, I'll try to make them bigger next time. Uh, maybe crop it off a little bit. But... So they go over to Philippi, and this is where, you know, Paul is with, you know, Paul is, and Silas are going, and they're ministering, and, you know, the demon-possessed woman is there, and we'll, we'll talk about the, all these things, don't worry. Um, 
And Paul casts out the demon of this woman and she can no longer tell, foretell the future. And the, guy, the people are like, ah! And like throw Paul in prison. Paul and Silas in prison. But we see that he doesn't go to prison. It changes back to the they. So it was only Paul and Silas that went to prison. Luke did not join them. Um, so they did not go to Paul, prison with Paul and Silas. But he was there when Paul met Lydia and all the women who were down by the river that were praying. There was no synagogue in Philippi. And we'll talk a lot more about Philippi when we get there. But I know it's super fun. They're super excited, super nerdy. I love it. Anyway, but so they, they plant a church in Philippi because there's no place to worship the Lord God. There's no synagogue because there's not even enough Jewish people. You have to have 10 Jewish men to start a synagogue. There wasn't even enough of those. That's the kind of city we're talking about. And so that's where we leave Luke. So Luke stays in Philippi and he plants the church with Lydia and the other women. And he stays there while Paul is going off and planting churches all over Macedonia, a.k.a. like Thessalonica and Berea, Athens, Corinth. You'll see it kind of over, you'll see those different names on your map there. Uh, it goes, you know, in the north side of Greece and then comes down to Corinth right there, which we'll talk a lot more about that in the, in the months to come. Um, but he, then he ends up in, in uh, Ephesus for two years, uh, te- you know, teaching and training ministers, and he writes all these different letters of the Bible. And then he comes back to Philippi and he picks them up again. Um, and, and, you know, but that's eight years later. So first we all want to see Luke's humility and love for the church. He is faithful. He doesn't look at the church ministry as like, I'm going to go skip around and I'm going to stay a couple years here and a couple years there. And, you know, Paul's calling us to go and plant churches. Luke's was to pastor and to love people. So he planted the church with Lydia and the other women. Now, speaking of women, that's one, something that we see is very characteristic of Luke throughout all of the Bible, through, throughout all, both, both of his works is how much he, how much, uh, you know, his gospel and his church history are filled with God making much of women, empowering women, entrusting women, and telling stories of women doing things above and beyond their station in that culture. He is a radical, radical, has a radical stance on women. Not because he has a radical stance, but because Jesus had the radical stance. And he's writing about it. Luke 8, all the women who are following Jesus. Right here in in Philippi, all the women who are praying and being faithful to the Lord. And he comes and he proclaims the gospel and everyone gets saved and he plants the church with Lydia. So much so that we'll read the book of Philippi that church becomes a powerhouse. It becomes a powerhouse for God's love and service for the other churches. Basically, Paul's like, y'all are it. Y'all are amazing. Everyone, every other church around here, look at this church. Look at what, what they're doing. They're spirit-filled. They're generous. They're amazing. Look at them and, and model them. That's what he's saying. And who planted that church? Our buddy Luke with Lydia and all the women. So it was a church started by a dude and a bunch of women. <laughs> Most likely, Lydia was one of those elders. And then we, we pick, him, pick him up again. So Paul leaves and he goes around and then he's heading back toward Jerusalem. And this is where we pick him up again. And this is where we see his loyalty and professionalism. So Acts 20, uh, you know, verse 5 through uh, chapter 21, verse 17 
Um, he joins Paul eight years later and went with him to Jerusalem. This is when Paul, at the end of Paul's third missionary, missionary journey, it took a while, and he's heading back to Jerusalem with this big offering that he's been saving up for years to bring to Jerusalem because of their famine and their starvation and their poverty. So he brings it to Jerusalem, um, and then he subsequently gets arrested, <laughs> and Paul does, and gets, you know, and that's when, like, we'll, we'll talk more about this, but there's an ambush that's about to be set for him, and so they escape, and, you know, with the Roman soldiers, and they bring him up to Caesarea to stand a fair trial, and he stays there for two years, right? So he's up in Caesarea for two whole years during all this stuff, but he stays with Paul. He stays with Paul in Judea. He goes. He travels all the way down to to, Judea, to Jerusalem, and he's there. And then Paul gets arrested and imprisoned. And I actually think that he's one of the guys that's taking care of him because some, a lot of these letters that were written from that mar, that maritime prison, he says, "Hey, guess what? Luke's with me too. Luke says hi. Luke Luke is ministering with me. Luke Luke is ministering to me. Right? He does this both. We'll talk about that in a second in, in Caesarea and in Rome." But this, here's where I actually, you know, my, I would argue that this is most likely when and where Luke put all his research, to, you know, got all of his, did all of his research. Since he was in Jerusalem already, he's like, well, I'm here. I may as well put, do this orderly account of the gospel. Hey, you know, Jesus' mom's over there. Well, how do we know that Jesus' mom's over there? Well, because John was still in Jerusalem because he was part of the Jerusalem council. And as we know, John was given... Um, guardianship of Jesus' mother. So Mary was living with John and being cared for by John. And so he went and he, he, he interviewed John and he interviewed Mary and he interviewed the blind man and this guy and this guy because they're all now a part of the church. They were healed by Jesus, came to faith in Jesus. They saw him be crucified and raised, raised from, the gra- from the dead and they're like, I'm going to worship with his people. Right? So, so for two years, he's doing all this research and putting together the research that he needs for um, his gospel, gospel account. And so he is incredibly professional in this. I mean, he puts together one of the most amazing accounts of Jesus Christ, a narrative. And then we see his faithfulness and devotion because he was also, he continued to minister to Paul. He kept going back up to Caesarea and ministering to Paul, taking care of his needs. Because Paul was pretty free. The prisons back then were weird. You know, they, it wasn't just like, you know, you had to come to this like pre, you know, done place. And they actually, kind of you lived in this area and you could have visitors and come and hang out with you. It was kind of weird, but you just couldn't leave this area. It was weird. It was really strange. But anyway, so this, where we see this, his faithfulness and, and devotion is when he rejoins Paul in Acts chapter 27, verse 1. And then we see him continually through the very end of the book of the Bible. Um, that he travels with Luke um, from Caesarea to Rome on the ship. He gets he sails to Rome with Paul when he appeals to Caesar at the end of the book of Acts, and he gets shipwrecked with him. And then he ends up in Rome with him and ministering to him, taking care of his needs, right? Because remember, this guy emulates generosity. He's taking care of Paul in in Rome. In, I'm sorry, in, in Rome. He's with him there. Um, he shipwrecked with, with him. He stayed with Paul through his trials, right, until his, home, his house arrest. And then eventually he's sent back to Philippi. 
and most likely uh, before he wrote the letter to the Philippians, uh, because he refers like he uh, there's a verse in Philippians um, chapter four. Find it here. Should have had it here. Philippians chapter four. Um, it says, "I urge you, Odia, and I, I urge uh, Synthi I will have to figure out how to pronounce that before I read that again. Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of the co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, that that verse or that statement there uh, in chapter in verse three, true partner is actually a name. And that name is uh, Syzygos. And according to, to, to tradition, this was a nickname for Paul. Or I'm sorry, for Luke. True uh, yoke fellow is what it means. True yoke fellow. You know, my true friend, like basically like my best friend. I urge my best friend, my homie, my bro, my bruh, you know, to help these women figure, figure their stuff out, right? To bring peace between these two ladies in the church. And he's faithful. And so he, he's, he's there in Rome. He helps minister to Paul and then he goes back to his church. That he's that he's a minute that he's ministering to, and then Paul writes to the, the Philippian church, and he's like, "Man, I always remember you so fondly in my prayers." He just dotes on them. He's like lavishing himself on them. Why? Because he was faithful. Luke was a faithful minister, not just a writer, and narrative, and doctor. He was a faithful minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the church, full of the Holy Spirit cultivating an incredible church that Paul just can't say enough good about. He didn't even say, I have this against you. He's like, y'all are awesome. Just keep doing it. Rejoice. You know, man, you get, get, get some con- you know, conflict resolution going here. But the very next verse, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. Because they are gracious. He's like, let your graciousness that you already have, that you're amazing at, keep doing that. Keep doing it. And keep rejoicing. Remember why you exist. You exist to rejoice. That's who you are. You're God's people. And so he is just faithful. He has so much devotion, faithfulness and devotion to both Paul as a, and as, as a ministry companion, but also, and most, most blaringly and gloriously, his faithfulness and devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. To minister and to love his people well. Just an incredible, incredible brother in Christ. And so, the way that we see this all played out, the book of Luke and the book of, of Acts, the history of the New Testament, the history of the church, is that the history of church is all about the extraordinarily ordinary spread of the gospel. The extraordinarily ordinary spread of the gospel. The church blew up because of the power and the presence of God in the midst of the church. And 
because of their devotion to one another, their graciousness, their generosity, the power of the Holy Spirit that made them joyfully generous, that made them joyfully loving to one another, that they had such great and deep faith that it was just extraordinary, but it looked ordinary. It's not, the gospel of Jesus Christ ain't flashy. It's not filled with all these lights and flashy and, and all these crazy things, you know, wows and stuff like that. It can look extraordinary, ordinary. Right? I've seen videos of healings. It's not like, you know, lightning falls from the sky and like the lights go. I've seen a dude like on crutches and this dude just like say, hey, can I pray for you real quick? He lays hands on the guy's leg and the dude's like, oh my gosh. Throws his, his, you know, chucks his, 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 the, the, thank you, crutches. <laughs> and like starts running around. <laughs> this is only my second. I'm only half done with it. <laughs> I need to finish it. I need to chug it and then I'll. <laughs> but it look, it doesn't have like all the, the dramatic lights and the wind and the music. Oh! It's just like the dude sends out and prays. You're just hearing the regular noise from out, you know, from the background, and the dude's like, "Oh my gosh, what?" Like, and starts running around in circles. The dude just like broke his ACL the day before, and it's healed. It looks it's extraordinary, but it looks ordinary. If people were watching from the from from behind him in the park, no one probably would have even even noticed. They weren't like something happened, you know. It's ordinary. That's what the, the spread of the gospel looks like. It's interesting. In fact, many scholars actually believe that the church actually shut down their openness to outsiders. They, didn't, they weren't like all about the outreach and the, and the, and the events and the, and the uh, what's it called, and the... Um, also, you know, yeah, like the crusades and all these different things. They weren't all about the, the big and the flashy and the big public stuff. They actually believe that they shut them down and to actually join into the church was by invitation only. They made it difficult. They actually had to go. They, they, you could only go to certain parts of the worship gathering if you were not a, what they call the, you know, if you hadn't gone through catech, catechesis, right? As the Catholic Church, it calls it catechumen. You know, it's like that. You, you study the word of, you study the, the, the theology of the church. You study the gospel. And when you're ready to make the profession of faith and be baptized, that's when you can join the church. But it's actually a process. It's like a two-year process at least. Right? And so, of course, that's one church. Not every church is the same. That's where the Catholic church got that whole concept from. Yeah. Um, but, so, but again, like this is only, so there's, some scholars believe that. So other scholars, you know, other, especially different cities or different ways, different towns, right? They were probably like, you know, the, the places like Antioch, Philippi, um, Ephesus, Rome, probably more like that because of the heavy persecution. But places where it wasn't as, as, you know, locked down and dangerous, they're probably like out there inviting their friends and their family and stuff like that. But they didn't rely on evangelists and evan, ev, you know, evangelical or you know, evangelistic you know, events and crusades and, and, and programs and things like that, outreaches and, and food drives and you know, all these different things. What they did was extraordinarily ordinary. All they did, what, what they did was they went and they lived 
their lives. The gospel spread through each one of the saints. That's how the gospel spread, was through each individual saint in the church. They saw themselves as the main tool for God um, to spread the gospel. For someone to become a a Christian, to become a saint in the church, to to join the church, they saw the health of the church in each individual person and how the gathering of God's saints transformed each person, each person's life. Actions were huge. They're, you know, they, were, they saw the difference in lifestyle and how they treated other people. This is they, they saw that they were followers of the way of living, the way, the actions. They heard a, you know, different words. A different, they had a different way of speaking, and they talked about their faith and their faith community, the church. This was them speaking the truth. Followers of the way, followers of the truth. And finally, they saw the lives of the individual people, their families, and the community flourish. Different, they, the, the gospel had uh, made a difference on their lives. The, it, it affected their lives and everyone around them because of who was working through them. That was God's Holy Spirit. So they saw, they, they, they observed and they experienced, outsiders experienced that these people were followers of the way, the truth, and the life by everything that they did and said and the results of which came from that. The gospel spread because remember, transformed people transform people. Remember that phrase. Remember what he said. Remember what Michael Green said. I am persuaded that nothing but transformed lives will be able to intrigue and attract a generation that is bored with religious and cynical, bored with religion and cynical of pious talk. So let this world see and hear the gospel. Let this world around us, let your friends, let your family, let your coworkers, let the cashier and, the, and your server today at lunch, let the people around you see and hear and experience the results of the way, truth, and life being lived through you. As it was through our our brother Luke. And as we get to study and look at and experience the early church. And as we experience that same thing today. Because we're not going to idolize the early church. We're not going to be like, oh, they're so good. They're amazing. We can, we, can, we can see them as ordinary people, like us. And how God uses extraordinarily ordinary people to do extraordinarily ordinary things. As He transforms your life, God wants your lives to transform others around you. And as we tra- help, as we are transformed individually, we transform one another. And as we're transforming one another, we get transformed. We get to grow and mature in our faith. So let that be our inspiration and our excitement about as we read the Scripture that God wants to transform each and every one of our lives so that He can continue to transform our lives and transform the lives of those around us.
And maybe, just maybe, God is about to kickstart the new 30 years that changes the world. Jesus, we are so humbled and grateful that you have called us your people. Lord, we are so excited for what you want to do in your church, in your saints, Lord, with us, your followers, Lord. Teach us, Lord, to be followers of the way, truth, and the life. Teach us, Lord, to have boldness to speak, boldness to live, boldness to be weird. And Lord, I just, I pray that you would give, you would give us permission to live your way. That you would transform our lives, transform our minds. That we may see your word, your love, your truth, your way, truth, and your life being lived in your church, in this community of faith. And that we would see people come into faith in Jesus because of what you're doing in our lives. Lord, do it again. Do it again, Lord Jesus. Do it again. You did it thirty, you did it two, two thousand years ago, Lord. Do it again and do it in us. Do it through us. Fill us, Lord Jesus, with your Holy Spirit. May we be a church that is filled with the Holy Spirit, full of your love, full of faith full of generosity, full of gratitude, full of Your presence, Lord Jesus. Change us, Lord Jesus. Transform us. Shift our thinking for Your glory and for our joy. For it's in Jesus' holy and powerful name we pray. Amen.